The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 13th chapter. Jesus put before the crowds another parable. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to someone who sowed good seed in his field. But while everybody was asleep, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared as well. And the slaves of the householder came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? Where then did these weeds come from? He answered, An enemy has done this. The slave said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he replied, No, for in gathering the weeds you will uproot the wheat along with them. Let both of them grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Collect the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples approached him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. And the good seed are the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the children of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are collected and burned up with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will collect out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all evildoers, and they will throw them into the furnace of fire, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Let anyone with ears listen. The Gospel of the Lord. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Have you been canceled yet? You know, canceled, written off, memory hold, removed from existence, treated like the invisible man or woman? Well, if not, it's coming. Canceling is all the rage. There's a word for it. Cancel culture, it's called. The only ways to avoid being canceled are either to completely buy in to what is all the rage at the moment or just to keep your mouth shut. But we're also told that silence is violence. So I guess that's not really an option either. So I guess your options are to buy in to what is all the rage at the moment or to be canceled. What cancel culture represents is a kind of social purity test. Such tests change as the culture changes. These days it feel like it's changing at breakneck speed. And it can really affect any group, church group, neighborhood group, society at large. Every group of people has some boundaries that when you transgress them, well, you risk excommunication. Today, it seems like if you've ever said anything questionable in your past, uh, you better be deleting all of your old blog posts, by the way. Uh, but if you cite data that some people don't like, well, you might be canceled by the forces of what uh, we used to call political correctness. You can lose your job, get thrown off of social media platforms, or be disgraced. Jesus himself is now being canceled. 
This week, an airline passenger caused a plane to land uh, during an emergency landing because he insisted that everyone on the plane agree that Jesus was black. Jesus was a Middle Eastern Jew, by the way. A church in Florida saw a statue of Jesus. Well, his head was lopped off. This is happening at churches around the country. I guess I'm thankful that most Lutheran churches don't have statuary. Or now it is said, I actually read this this week from a, a group that is about decolonizing the church. It actually said that church planting should come to an end. Church planting. It is uh, an imperialist, uh, colonialist mission to church plant. Well, I think about cancel culture because our gospel lesson is really about tolerating differences among us as we grow together, right? It's about the kind of conflict that we can expect both within the church and in the world. Actually, the extent of this parable, I don't think is really all that clear, right? This is a teaching about the weeds and the wheat, but does that mean in the world at large or does it mean in the church? For example, I think it's obvious enough that in the world there are, say, believers and unbelievers, you know, wheat and tares, as this parable used to be called, or, or wheat and weeds uh, together. We, we exist together, we live together, even if we don't all believe the same thing. We can understand that, and at the end of the age, when the harvest has come, we'll be separated. Uh, different images in the scripture are used. In Matthew, it's the sheep and the goats. Here, it's the weed and the weeds. But that's at the end of time, it's universal in scope, seems to be about the whole world, it's the ultimate judgment, and there is separation. That much, I, I think, is rather obvious. But we also know that just because you're a member of a church, or you participate in a congregation, or you call yourself a Christian, well, that doesn't guarantee salvation or doctrinal purity. So even within what we call the visible church, right? The, the gathering of people around the name of Christ, even there you will find, or there will be, division and separation. If not every so-called Christian will be saved, well, then this parable can surely be about life within the church as well. So we look at this parable and we say, aha, in the church you have wheat and weeds. And so what do we do? Do we try to separate them now? Or do we just sort of let them exist together? And given that this really is our sphere of influence, you know, when we get together as a congregation, we kind of talk about church stuff, right? That is how we tend to apply this parable. These things will coexist in the life of the church. But of course, just as in our society today with cancel culture, just where and why you draw lines, it's not always exactly clear. Certainly history has proven that. If you draw lines too tightly, you're a Pharisee. If you draw them too loosely, well, then you probably haven't done a good job of preserving the faith once delivered to all the saints, as we read in Jude. Also, what would your source of authority be for knowing just where to draw lines in the first place? This was arguably the issue of the Reformation. They came to different conclusions. That is, the Protestants, Reformers, 
and the Roman Catholics because the reformers were arguing for scripture alone and the Catholics argue still to this day at tradition plus the scriptures. Well, if you have different sources of authority, then you're going to come to different answers on uh, where you draw lines in excommunication. And in our society today, we don't have a common source of authority. And so you can see that's why we have a lot of the conflict that we do. Still, Jesus seems to be suggesting that we do not go on campaigns to rid from our midst everyone who does not meet our standard of purity. Rather, the believers and the unbelievers alike will grow together in this world, and we let God sort it out in the end. In the meantime, we seek and we promote peace wherever we can. This doesn't mean that there won't be justice or punishment for crime, for example. Uh, it doesn't mean there's never a time for separation. So just because the wheat and the weeds are growing together, that doesn't mean that we're in favor of anarchy. In, in fact, that might be a coming debate on our radio program. A Christian, I know, is arguing that really Christians should be anarchists, uh, you know, total libertarians, if you will. I would say, no, that's, that's not the case at all. We see in Matthew 18 that Jesus talks about the need for separation if someone is an unrepentant sinner, and Jesus would argue for justice. So th this isn't really about, you know, just letting things run amok. I assuming no criminality, assuming no true heresy, right? Uh, what things will be like in the church and in the world is that the wheat and the weeds will grow together. This then is a descriptive passage. It describes what life in the church is like. It doesn't mean to offer a prescription for all situations where there's difference. You know, it might not be obvious who the weed and the wheat uh, are at the present day. Someone like Martin Luther was certainly considered a weed, but we would say that he was wheat, right? We might be surprised when we get to heaven just who is there and who is not there if we are the ones who get there, right? Uh, perhaps professing Christians maybe have secret sins that they refuse to repent of. Or maybe some come to church, but their confession of Christ is a lie. It's not always obvious who the true believers are in God's kingdom. And so we don't initiate programs or pogroms for every doctrinal difference. Jesus really seems to be cautioning against cancel culture. Standards, boundaries, limits, of course, we're not anarchists here. But patience is needed because the truth is not always obvious. Trust in God is also needed because he, or really the angels, will be the ones who sift the wheat from the weeds, not you and not me. So we must then live together. That's the only conclusion we can draw from this parable. We must live together, truly tolerating differences and trusting in God to be smarter than us. Indeed, while the church is often accused of being intolerant, and of course many Christians are and have been through history, by and large, we have a history of tolerance. 
I mean, this is going to be politically incorrect, but people often cite the Inquisition as, you know, the supreme example of, uh, of Christian intolerance. Well, yes, several thousand people, certainly under 5,000, lost their lives during the Inquisition, and that is far too many, but that was over a period of 350 years. We could think of other examples, not that this is a good argument, a far worse persecution or intolerance. Generally, Christians have done pretty well at living alongside other cultures and ethnicities, etc. For many centuries, countless missionaries that we've never heard of lived alongside other cultures, learned their language over the period of a decade or more, learned their cultures, and then presented the gospel in peace. The very notion of tolerance itself is the result of Christian anthropology, our doctrine of man, right? the belief that all human beings are made in the image of God and worthy of respect and dignity, no matter their ethnicity. Likewise, the commandment to love your neighbor has certainly acted as a guard against Christians from wiping out the infidels among them. Our nation's motto, e pluribus unum, out of many, one, it assumes tolerance. Tolerance indeed is a virtue. And the parable of the wheat and the weeds, I would say, is one of the key passages that would be used to defend it. Make no mistake, there is no neutral ground in the spiritual world. Everyone is religious. Everyone has a, a worldview. Everyone has a point of view. Everyone has commitments and convictions that they think are better than yours. It's only a question of which religion and which worldview, which one wins out when a society or a group is determining what are the limits, what are the boundaries, what is acceptable. I argue for Christianity, not just because I love Jesus and because I believe Christianity to be true, but because as we see in this parable, the Christian is to be patient over the course of time. We allow God to be the judge. We trust in God's wisdom more than our own, which is not only good for our neighbor because it protects him or her from me, it also protects me from them. What Christianity protects and promotes is the opposite of cancel culture. It's tolerance. And so it is no surprise that as Christianity is lost, and it is being lost, it's being memory-hold, it's being run over. As these parables then are also lost, they're lost from our collective wisdom, our collective memory, our collective information. Well, then so too will the tolerance that these kinds of parables champion. Might we see then a revival in our own day, not only so that more will come to trust in Christ, but we will reap the benefits as well. Most of all, the benefit of being allowed to survive and thrive and letting God be the judge. Amen.